All right, we're continuing our study through the book of Exodus. Today we are on the third commandment in our list of commandments. And uh, let's go ahead and begin now in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that tells us how we should approach you, how we should think about you. And, um, and this particular commandment about your name, Lord, it is now informed by uh, our study through the book of Exodus that the name is extremely important. And it's not important merely because uh, it's, it's what we choose to call you. Instead, it's important by what you've, uh, in terms of what you've filled up that name with. That is, that you are the God who is all-powerful, almighty, that you are the God who saves his people. And now as we learn the law, that you are the God who is just and demand justice from your people as well. And so I, I pray that as we look at this commandment, that we understand the, the various ways that the law itself applies this commandment, and that we look to our own lives and see how we might be actually breaking this commandment, and certainly how evangelicalism is breaking this commandment and by the way that it talks about you. Oh, Lord, open our eyes today. Help us to apply this in every way possible. Uh, fill us with your spirit that we might be eager to obey your word, to love you by truly learning how this applies and in obeying it in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. You will not lift up the name of Yahweh your God... For nothing. For Yahweh will not let him go unpunished who lifts up his name for nothing. Now, this is an interesting commandment. I, I know many of your translations probably say something like, uh, You will not say the Lord's name in vain, or uh, something of that nature. I want you to notice, you will not lift up, lift up is the word nasa, to lift up or carry. Uh, the name of Yahweh your God, Yahweh, that has been revealed in the book of Exodus, Lashav. Lashav can mean actually one of two things. It can mean either emptiness, uh, worthlessness, like worthless men are called Shav, um, or it can mean deception. Uh, you are not to use the name to deceive. And it's ambiguous here, and I think it's ambiguous here not so that we can just pick one of the ambiguities and go with it, and then we can go ahead and break the commandment in all these other ways. But, but instead, I think the commandment is ambiguous so that we understand it applies to numerous different things, not to one specific thing. And the law itself is going to do this with the commandment. And we're going to look at a couple of those. And so one of the ways that you lift up the name of Yahweh, your God, Lashav, that is, for nothing, is that you use it as a curse or a curse word or something of that nature. In Leviticus 24, 10 through 16, now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shemolith, uh, sorry, Shalomith, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of Yahweh should be clear to them. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, 
Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregations stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Now, what's interesting here is the word to curse means to actually take something lightly or even, and there's different words used. Another word used here is to take it, um, not just take it lightly, but actually to profane it. To profane something means to make it common. Um, it's, It's basically just taking what is holy and it's making it just kind of a general use instead. And you can see how that fits the idea of shav. That is that you're taking something and emptying it of its meaning. Um, you're, you're emptying it of its holy purpose. You're repurposing it for something common. And we ourselves do this. We ourselves use God's name or what we think is God's name, the word God, um, as a curse word. We use it in common speech when we say things like, oh my God, but we're not referring to God in a holy way. We're using it as just a common phrase of surprise or excitement or something of that nature. Um, We use the name of Jesus this way, and it's used either as a curse word or some sort of exclamation point in our language, our common language. And it's not used for a holy purpose. We curse people out with God's name, or again, what we think is God's name. We don't typically use Yahweh, but we use God in place of Yahweh. uh, Or using Jesus's name once again. And so, you know, we try to to ask again, like how, how, uh, where are the boundaries? So I can kind of just, you know, walk along those boundaries rather than what's the holiest thing I can do with God's name. And so we, we use things like OMG, thinking that, well, you know, it's, I'm not technically saying the, the name of the Lord in vain. Um, but yeah, actually you are, because it, it's, it's doing something with, I think, the person of God that we'll talk about in a moment that is wicked and at the core of all of these uses. But let's move on to the next right now. We'll, we'll put a pin in that and then we'll come back to it. So because shav can mean emptiness, like with half of its uses and the other half, it actually means to deceive, this is applied in terms of false prophecy. And so in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you, Moses is speaking obviously to them, from among your brethren. It is to him you will listen. Just as you desired of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, When you said, let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Now, this this becomes important. We're going to read this passage that I I skipped over in Exodus 19 specifically for this verse. But I want you to notice the reverence of the fact that the people are actually afraid of God, having seen his glory in fire and in smoke and in the lightning and everything and the earthquake and the mountain that they're actually terrified of God, having seen him. Um, They weren't so terrified before because they were ignorant of him, but once having seen him, they're now terrified. Again, put a pin in that, we'll come back to it. 
Verse 17, and Yahweh said to, to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, talking about the prophets in general, and then, of course, ultimately culminating in Jesus Christ, um, but talking about the fact that he's going to speak to them with prophets. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your mind, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken or has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So here we have it applied in terms of false prophecy, that those who speak in God's name and it does not come true have not actually spoken uh, in, uh, by God. They're just making it up. Or it's some other spirit, but it's not God who's actually spoken to them. Now, this is easily applicable in our day. This happens all the time. I do want to take just a small note of this verse in that some people try to connect the two things. So it says, um, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak. And then you have a vav here that's translated as or in most translations for a reason, by the way. Or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. What many charismatics try to do is they say the vav can mean and, and therefore it's uh, the prophet who uh, basically speaks in my name and it doesn't come to pass, and he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet will die. Uh, It's not and. Vav is just a clause marker. You have to determine what type of clause it is by the context. And Hebrew has a, a particular word order. Typically, it's verb first, and then you have your, your subject of the verb, the noun, and then you have you know, other things that follow, whether the object or uh, indirect cla- object clause and all that sort of thing. Um, here, what you've got is you don't have the verb first, and typically that signifies that the vav is disjunctive, not conjunctive, meaning you would not translate it as and. You would translate it as it's disconnected from the previous clause in some way. So in other words, it's or. The translators in most translations have gotten that right. So it's either it doesn't come to pass or he speaks in the name of other gods. So either he speaks in the name of the right God, that is Yahweh, and it doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet. Even if he's speaking in the name of Jesus, Even if he's speaking in the name of the God of the Bible, if it doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet and he actually needs to die in the law. He needs to be stoned in the law. Now, of course, we do that through excommunication. Obviously, we would do that with rebuke first. Uh, If the person was submissive to that, we'd we'd take them along. But ultimately, if someone continued to do that and they were obstinate about it, they were going to remain calling themselves a prophet and they're going to keep doing it, it should be excommunication. That's the New Testament stoning of the individual, uh, as God says in in, uh, uh, chapter 13 as well, remove the evil man from your midst, talking about the false prophet. And so in that way, it's using God's name, again, not in a holy way, but in an unholy way to even deceive people. 
Now that's that's the second way that's it's commonly taken that whole third commandment there. Now the third way that it's applied in the, the law is that um, through oath taking, and we see that Jesus picks up on this in Matthew as well. That oath taking is connected to the third commandment, and so in Leviticus nineteen twelve. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. So I want you to notice there that swearing by God's name falsely, that is to lift up his name to deceive people, either through false prophecy uh, or through oath-taking, you are making it common. And so it says, and so profane the name of your God. The the word here for profane means to take something holy and you defile it. So you defile an altar and it's no longer holy. You can't use it for that purpose anymore. Um, It's it's no good. It's just common now. It's no longer designated as something sanctified for the purpose of worshiping God. And so things like that, you're taking what is common or taking what is holy and making it common. Now, we saw this as well with the curse. That's the original thing as well. It's taking what is holy and making it common. So it's taking God's name in any way that you can make it common, making it common, and that's what this law is prohibiting. Do not make common the name of the Lord. Um, And remember that this book is about names, right? Is it just talking about the name? Why are these people making his name common? Well, because the name is an identity. It identifies his person. And so if you take the name as common, you're probably taking the person of God as common, the character of God. You're you're making everything common about God. Now, you might say, well, how are we doing this today? I actually think we do it in a variety of ways And I normally don't bring up people. If I do bring up people and I'm talking about a specific person in general, I'll let you know um, by name. But I I do have to bring her up because I I, I think that it's gotten out of hand in evangelicalism and and no one really knows what to do with it so much um, because we've allowed this sort of thing to continue. False prophecies and people talking about God in very common ways that are casual and whatnot. Um, so I, I, I men- I'll mention Beth Moore, right? So Beth Moore has this tweet that she talks about Jesus and when, when she's having like a bad day or something. And Jesus supposedly comes into her room and says, good morning, Beth. How are you doing this morning? Um, and Beth says to him, um, I'll be with you in a moment. Just wait. And uh, and then she'll say, okay, when she gets herself ready or whatever, how are you doing or what have you. Now, I want you to notice the way that she thinks it's okay to talk to God because I think it's representative of a larger group of people who think of God this way. Now, I imagine that she views God like she views maybe her father or maybe her husband, and that's the way that she would speak to her father or husband. Now, that's a problem in itself. But I, I, you can see the casualness to where if she speaks to her father that way, she might think, well, God's her father and she's God's daughter. And so she probably has an access to God that maybe, you know, other people don't. And it's that special relationship she has with her father. And she would tell her father, I'll be with you in a moment. Or she would tell her husband, I'll be with you in a moment. 
Um, the problem with this is, is that God isn't your husband and he's not your father. And frankly, you shouldn't be talking to your husband or father that way anyway, because they actually represent God's authority and the fear of God, which seems to be lacking. But that's, that's essentially the problem is that ultimately it, it evidences no fear of God. It evidences no reverence for who he is as a person. It takes for granted that you can have a casual relationship with God simply because God has provided access to himself and has called you his son or daughter. Being called the son or daughter of God should give you a greater reverence for God, not a lesser one. And so using the name, I think what's at the core of all of these examples of using the name either deceptively or in some sort of curse or some sort of just common speech evidences a wrong view of God, a lack of reverence and fear of God and who he is. And so in that regard, it makes me wonder is evangelicalism, the, the type of evangelicalism or the type of charismatic movement or whatever that, that talks about God this way as though they're just eating potato chips with God on their couch and he's their buddy or their boyfriend, do they actually have a different God? Yeah, they're using the same names. They're referencing the Bible, but when they talk about God, it doesn't sound like God. Let's read Exodus 19. As they approach the mountain, this is what's said in Exodus 19, verses 7 through 25. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and make them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You must set boundaries for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves not to go up on the mountain, nor touch its edge. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. No hand will touch him, but he will surely be stoned or shot through, whether a beast or a human being. He must not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up on the mountain. Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not approach your wives for marital relations. On the third day in the morning, there was thunder and lightning and a dense cloud on the mountain and the sound of a very loud horn. All the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their place at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire, and its smoke went up like the smoke of a great furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. When the sound of the horn grew louder and louder, Moses was speaking, and God was answering him with a voice. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain, and the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, Go down and solemnly warn the people, lest they force their way through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Let the priests also who approach the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break through against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people are not able to come up to Mount Sinai because you solemnly warned us. Set up boundaries from the mountain and set it apart. The Lord said to him, Go get down and then come up, and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people force their way through to come up to the Lord, lest ye break through against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them.
So you see there, does that sound like the same God as the one that Beth Moore is referencing and talking to? And you might say, well, you know, Jesus came and he does away with that and we don't have to be in fear and trembling in the mountain. That statement that you don't have to be in fear and trembling and we've not come to that mountain in judgment is to give you comfort in your fear of God that he actually will accept you in salvation and, and he's going to be kind and loving to you. It doesn't give you some license to treat him as though he's not holy and not fearful, not awe-inspiring, not to be reverenced. That's not what that's saying. Because you have boldness in Jesus Christ does not mean you can come and be disrespectful or talk to him like he's your bro. When the demons encounter Jesus Christ, he is God the Son in subdued form. He is incarnate. He is living as a human being. And when they approach him, they are terrified of him. You want to know why? Because they actually know who he is. They're terrified of him and they beg him not for him to throw them into hell right away. For them to actually be cast into those pigs, those unclean, filthy animals. They'd rather be in humans, but they'll take these unclean, filthy animals if they can just escape the judgment of Christ. James says the demons know that God is one, that he is singular in his purpose, that he is unified, and they are terrified by it. That theology doesn't comfort them. The truth doesn't comfort them. The truth makes them afraid. Because they're not reverent toward God and they will be judged for it and they know it. Even the devil himself, who is probably the most powerful of all of them, must submit to God. Why? Because he loves God? No, because he's terrified of him. Demons flee his presence. He is the God who ripped open this universe, this vast universe in all its glory, and it was nothing to him. Job says of God that he, if you read the book of Job, he's going on and on how like, I just want my day in court with God, but who can, who can really argue with him because he's God? And so he still speaks of God reverently. He still, still understands that no one can really argue with God because of, of his position. And yet when he actually sees the glory of God, he says, before I had only heard of you, but now that I see you, I shut my mouth. God is not your boyfriend. God is not your buddy. And any teacher who speaks about God that way, frankly, is not a true teacher as these prophets are not true prophets. No one speaks of God irreverently and knows God. No one. No one speaks of God casually and knows God. And I would submit to you, be very careful. If you use God's name in a profane, common way, a casual way, that may indicate that you don't really understand who he is. Maybe you don't know him. And you need to repent of that. Now, uh, to go back to Beth Moore, 
I think something worse is happening than even all of that, as bad as all of that is. And again, it's not just with her, it's with a lot of people. I think the reason why Beth Moore has no problem kind of fudging 1 Timothy 2 on whether a woman should teach over a man, and a lot of people have no problem fudging on the applications of Scripture and their interpretations because God's their buddy anyway. Because God's my, God's my dad, and I have a special relationship. So yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't teach over men, but God actually thinks it's okay. It'd be legalistic and pharisaical for someone to tell me no, because I have a special relationship with God where, you know, he's coming into my room in the morning and saying, hey, how you doing, Beth? So because I have a special relationship with God and it's casual, uh, God doesn't really have that much of a problem with me doing what I'm doing. I mean, I know I should be doing it because I have this great relationship with God and he allows me to do these things. And so, yeah, scripture, maybe that's for other people or maybe it applies to other situations. Maybe it's cultural and they're easily fed that cultural lie that, oh, you know, it's just, uh, that's just talking about something cultural. It doesn't apply to me. You see this in men, you see it in women, you see this, it's easy to fudge on God's word because there's not a reverence for God's word, because there's not a reverence for God. If you don't reverence God, then yeah, you're going to start playing games with his word. That's why God says like, hey, you know what? I don't actually dwell in temples. You know that, right? Isaiah 66 is really clear. I don't, I don't actually dwell in these houses, you know. Like, I made this universe. That's my heavens. It would take you, like, I, I forget the number. It's like 300, you know, I, zillion. I have no idea what the number is. Light years to go from one end of the universe to the other. It's, it's insane. We would never be able to explore it in a million, in, in, in billions and billions of years if we discovered the speed of light. And God says, that's my temple. The earth, that's actually just a footstool for me. This whole earth that you think is everything, it's so big to you. It's nothing to me. Nothing. But this one I'll look. I'll dwell with this person. The person who uh, is humble, is struck down in spirit, and who trembles, trembles at my word. If you don't understand who God is, and that's why he said that thing about the temple, so that you understand how you should take his word. If you don't understand who God is, you're not going to understand what the word of God is. You're not going to understand what the Bible is. The Bible's just going to be like human experience of God, and it's religious experience, and you can take it, and maybe it was God saying it, but it was just for those people in that day, and you, you'll start fudging with it and looking for interpretations that allow you to do this and that and the other thing because you don't actually have a fear of God. You don't know who he is. And so that's why you're speaking of God the way you're talking about him. That's why you think you can talk to God the way that you're talking to him. That's why you're using his name in such a casual manner. Reverence of who God is, is it stems from actually knowing who God is, knowing him. Fearing him truly. And again, as many people have pointed out, the word for fear in the Bible is translated as respect in so many translations. 
that word, whether Yahweh in, uh, in Hebrew or Fabas in Greek, does not mean respect. It does not mean respect in any way. It never means respect. It means to be afraid. Fear. We're translating as respect because we give respect. I'll give respect to God. I'll give honor to God. I choose that. It's my on my authority I choose to give respect to God. Fear is I recognize that God has absolute power and authority over me and there's nothing I can do about it. And I must yield. That's why that word has changed because we don't like that. We don't like God in that way. We think that that's tyrannical. We think that we don't like that mean God, you know, uh, and so we'd rather have this Jesus who comes into our room and we can actually tell him, hey, you know what? It's my time. You just wait for me. We like to control our gods. That's, that's why we're very Greco-Roman in that way. We love gods that are accommodating. We love gods that are like us. We love gods that are very human looking because it's, we can be casual with them. We can play games with them. And we can end up doing what we want with them. But you can't do that with the real God. And therefore, this commandment says, you absolutely will not lift up my name, Lashav, for nothing, in emptiness, without a holy purpose when you actually speak my name. You speak my name in any other way, it means that you have a real problem understanding who I am. I am Yahweh. That's why he keeps saying that throughout scripture. I am Yahweh. Understand all the meaning in scripture, in my word, that I have poured into that generic name. Remember, we talked a bit before about Yahweh is just a generic name. It just means he is. That's it. Doesn't mean anything else. People try to pour all sorts of meaning in. They're trying to find, you know, what does it mean, this or that? Or maybe it just talks about God's sovereignty. It's like, no, it doesn't. It's a generic name, but God has filled that name in through not only what he has spoken, but what he has done so that we would pay attention to his word and therefore fall in obedience to it, understand him and know him and have a relationship with the true God, not just a false God that we're using the true God's name for. So this commandment is seriously neglected in our day. I think because people just don't understand it. And because we, we live in a day where we think that Jesus somehow came and made, made God casual. Rather than he made the holy God accessible to us. But he didn't make him casual. I love the line in Narnia where, you know, um, where it's asked if, if Aslan is uh, dangerous. And... Uh, and the response is, is that, yeah, he's, he's very dangerous, extremely, but he's good. And that's who God is. God is extremely dangerous. They understand this. They say to themselves later on, and we, we noticed that in, in Deuteronomy, that we need someone else to talk to us because if God keeps coming down in our presence, we're all going to die. Because his majesty, his holiness, it's going to kill us. We're afraid of that. 
Send someone else. And so God says, what you've said is right. It is going to kill you. So I'm going to send a prophet instead. And the prophet will speak back and forth. Uh, He'll take my word and give it to you. They understood access to God doesn't mean casualness. Because then you lose who he is and you're worshiping a different God at that point. So I don't bring up Beth Moore and I don't bring up these other charismatic teachers that, you know, act like they're just, you know, talking to God as though he's their buddy to degrade them. I'm saying that this is a really, this is a major problem in evangelicalism. And it, 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 it feeds over into even the reformed camp to where we think we can start playing with God's word. Well, there are many interpretations of that and who really knows. And it's like, you know what, you better obey every, every interpretation until you get it worked out then. The, the strictest of interpretations you should obey. It's kind of like the abortion argument. So we, we don't really know if it's a human or not, so let's kill it. It's like, no, if you don't know if it's a human, then be more restricting on yourself and don't kill it just in case. That's how reverence acts toward the word of God. If you don't know, then take the strictest view possible until you do. Because you're dealing with a holy God who actually cares whether you obey. And then if you find out later that it's more relaxed, then that's fine. Obey God on those lines. But I don't think today we care. Because we're so casual with God, it doesn't matter if I obey him or not because I have this personal relationship with Jesus. He's my buddy. He's my friend. Uh, he's my dad. And, uh, and I've, got this, you know, I've got this special relationship that allows me to kind of like break his word even if, even if I uh, interpreted it wrongly. So it doesn't really matter if I get it right. Again, that we would approach our Father, and he is our Father for us who have come to Jesus Christ. We have been adopted as sons. We inherit all things, whether you are man or woman, it doesn't matter. You've inherited all things as a firstborn son with Jesus Christ. That we would approach him with even a hint of the reverence that the demons and Satan approach him with, those who actually hate him. We approach him with less reverence than these creatures who hate his guts. And we call ourselves his children. Shame on us for that. May we understand today what this truly means, that he is our father and therefore we should honor our father. We should fear our father. We should obey him, obey his word and treat it as just the, the most important thing in our lives. Rid our speech of any sort of common speak of God or his name. And be true priests, which is why the, he has called them to the mountain. True priests that represent who he truly is rather than representing some different God with his name. Let's pray. Father, we approach your throne in boldness only because we know that you love your son and we who are in your son can come to your throne room and be accepted and loved there. But I pray we understand who you are, who has actually loved us. You are holy. You are not like just any casual relationship we have. We are to approach you as God, our father, our father who is in heaven and not as some father on the earth, 
even though we are still to give respect and, and honor to them. Father, I pray that you give us this godly fear and not the fear that people might have to run away from you, but rather the fear that people must have to bow the knee, to worship you, and to love you for who you are, a God who is not like us, whose thoughts are far above our thoughts, whose ways are far beyond our ways, and whose holiness is far, far, far beyond the common. Lord, we love you today. May you be glorified, you, in your name. Amen. Amen.